Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. What we're going to talk about today is what's your name? Okay, so we've been singing about it today, about what God does for us. This message might be slightly uncomfortable because it's going to be more about not what Jesus can do for you, but what you can do for the cause of Christ. It's always a bit of a challenge, that one, because it makes us feel that we have to actually do something, not just believe something. Belief and faith are actions. They're not just things that we just say. They're things that we do. And when you see the name citizen of heaven, what does that mean? What does that mean for our life? Does that mean that we have a name on Sunday and a different name for the rest of the week? No, it doesn't. It means that we are 24-7 citizens of heaven. And when he called us out of the grave, he called us to life not to the death that we were in. And that's the message we'll have today. So when we sing these songs, we should sing them with what it actually, you know, really embrace what it means and say, we are citizens of heaven. And what does that mean for me today? You've seen me preach enough. You'll know that I always question everything. How I question it is, what does this mean? Often that's what I say. What does this actually mean? Because nothing in the Bible was just there for just niceties. They were there because it has a significance to us and how we can live our lives. Not just live our lives, but to live to the cause of Christ in our life. The Heavenly Father, we ask you to have your hand upon the Word today because it's your Word, not ours. It's your life that we breathe. It's your. It's the Word that is in our lungs that we now speak. We ask you to have your hand upon us today as we digest what you're here to say, that we have a new name a new life, and a new purpose. We praise the most holy name, Father. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. Thanks, worship team. Life's bright, isn't it? Okay. Now, last week we heard from Pastor Christian, which was, um, does anyone remember the message? It's always good to ask that question. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know... We get these great messages, but how often do we remember them? You know, we get 52 a year if you come to church every week. And uh, uh, if you listen to podcasts, you might hear another couple of hundred a year. Uh, and how many of them do we actually remember? Because the problem is, we often don't remember them, do we? I remember one given by a guy whose name was um, Alan Taylor. Um, unfortunately, passed away in 2009 with his wife in a car crash. Um, but he, got, he was a lousy preacher. Um, absolutely. <laughs> he only preached once a year, but uh, when you see this guy, this guy was, he was profound. He was a principal at Suncoast Christian College, gave up a job as a principal to become a chappie at a public school, at three public schools, where he had, he went down to a third of the income, of which he had to actually raise half of it, and, and that was one of the reasons why he got to preach once on a Sunday, one Sunday a year for a fundraising event. Lousy preacher, but he gave this message, which I reckon out of all the messages, except the one I heard of Tommy Barnett, that probably changed my life. And all it was, I can't remember the whole message, I just remember this one point. He says, is your life interruptible for the cause of Christ? How profound is that? Ainsley and I, we just restored our marriage. We were a couple of years later. This was about 2000 and. Uh, would have been about 2007, 2008, 
So we're back on track. We're in the we're we're at some coast and and um, so we're not doing anything actually. I've been an elder in an old church, a very fundamental group, very judgmental, very rules based, as Christian was talking about before. It wasn't just love God, love others. We had these 640 plus, and we had another 900 something else that were added to that just for good measure. But I went home that day, and the answer was no. My life was not interruptible in the cause of Christ. And that really shocked me and ain't it? Um, to the point where we um, we started to make change. Did it happen overnight? No. Because it takes a little while to work out what that actually all means. What does it mean to cause a price? What is it? And, and, and you sit there and you struggle with that, that concept of the cause of price. So I realised that when we get saved or when we have an encounter with Jesus, I had an encounter with Jesus on 7th of February 2005 and been a Christian and, and baptised in 73. Second, uh, six of the six, seventy-three. So, what's that? Many years, okay, many years. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I've been a Christian from seventy-three to two thousand and five, and it wasn't until I had this impact of what Christ is actually means to me, and what I therefore mean to Him, that my life started to change. And if I got it together, I'm, I'm not professing why I got it together. I still learn every day. I challenge myself most days. I beat myself up for when I fail, but that's okay. That's just life. But are you living the cause of Christ? Or are you living in your old life, trying to fit Christ in? And that's what we're going to talk about today. This comes from um, a thesis paper I wrote where I did my Masters in Theology. So if you ever want to read the actual document, I wouldn't. <laughs> it goes for about 106 pages. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nightmare. It was a nightmare to write. But the reason I chose Romans 6 is because I didn't understand. I wanted to know more about being a slave to sin, a slave to righteousness. Because I didn't understand that my upbringing, a judgmental upbringing where we live by rules and regulations, to the love of Christ, as I had experienced in 2005, I still did not understand it until I did the thesis paper and spent a year writing 20,000 words um, and and under, trying to understand Romans 6. But to understand Romans 6, you have to understand Romans, and you have to understand Paul, and it just keeps going. But the bottom line is, is your life interrupted with the cause of Christ? And which name are you living by, which is what we're going to talk about today? What's your name? What's the difference between sin and evil? Does anyone know? I heard a good one a while back. Sin is miss, us missing the mark. Evil is when we intentionally do something because we want to hurt somebody. That's the difference. Sin is missing the mark. Evil is something that we do intentionally. We're going to talk more about sin today because I'm hoping that we're not injured. <laughs> but what is sin? And that's always a good question. We always drag out the old, you know, being a drunkard, being an adulterer, being this, being that. We list off the, you know, the, the do's and the don'ts. But I liken it. You know, when you look at sin, you look at back to Abraham, sorry, Adam and Eve, and sin is really when we live pride, with pride. Simply that is what sin is, when we live with pride. What is pride? Pride is when we believe that we have, or our view is more important than the views of others, or our need is more important than the needs of others. We put ourselves on a pedestal instead of others on a pedestal. 
Christianity has had, had a big difficulty on what sin is because we we do what we call I call it sins of omission and sins of commission. The difference is is that we often focus on those sins that we commit, but we have sins that we don't we commit because we don't do it. So with the police, we look at sins of omission and sins of commission, okay, or breaking the law to be both. So, like for example, manslaughter. If you know that they set of stairs and that wall, that someone's going to fall down them, and someone does, and you did nothing to fix it, then that is manslaughter because you knew that by not taking action, someone could die. And that's what we look at when we look at sins of omission and sins of commission. So we go to Romans. I love Romans. Um, I, I commend Romans to everybody. If you want to know the theology of Christianity, just read Romans. Get a good book from Kuron, um, from one of the great, you know, great um, orators who will talk you through it. And it is what, one of the greatest books. I've got about probably 25 books on Romans. That's what you have to do when you study Romans. Because you can't just have one reference. The Bible, you have to have some other references. So. But in Romans um, 1, verse uh, 16, 17, we read, and if you read, the way that the letters were written, right, was um, they always had a thesis statement. This is the thesis statement of Romans. <clears throat> they usually start with an introduction, who they are, who it's for, the purpose of the writing. In this case, he was writing to the Church of Romans, Rome because he didn't know who they were, they didn't know who he was, so he was introducing himself to a degree. But in verse 16 and 17, we read what we call the thesis statement. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the whole statement here is that we will live by faith. And as I said before, faith is an action. It's not a, it's not a, uh, um, uh, it's not a noun, it's a verb for those English teachers out there. Um, I failed English day. So, <laughs> well, we read in Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, and we love this one. Therefore, since you were justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom we have also obtained access to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What we read here is we have access through our faith, we are justified, we have access to his grace. Access. Key word there, access. Doesn't mean we get it by right. It's not something that we just get. It's something we have access to. So therefore, what does that, so does that mean? You know, you can see what living with me is like. Because uh, I read something and I go off on a tangent for like a half a year because I'm chasing down what does access mean. But access really just means that we need to live in faith. If we're not living in faith, then do we have access to grace? Well, that's the question. I don't know the answer fully, um, but I'm understanding is that through faith we have access to grace. And therefore, you know, we have what we call justification, sanctification, and glorification. So justification is the moment where God says, you did nothing, you deserve nothing, but I now justify you under the law to be saved. We then enter into sanctification, which means we then try to work out what it means to be living in faith. So that's the rest of our life. And glorification is when we get to the end and Jesus goes, I now glorify you to the Father. Okay, but we so technically we should be in the sanctification stage. Sanctification is like a purification. It's like 
It's like a development. It's like taking a child from grade 1 to grade 12. Now, Jesus doesn't expect you to become a first-aid Christian to have the same understanding as someone who's been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you're going to go through a process, yeah. and he's going to refine you. He's going to make you better, stronger, healthier, and more engaged in the purpose of Christ. So what that is, is he's, it's, it's the challenges every year, or every month, or every week, or every day. We are growing in our faith. We are growing in what it means to be a Christian. And what, that, that, what does that look like? So we read in Romans 6, verse 1, and, and what shall I say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So the thing about Paul, if you read Romans, he, he asks a lot of questions, the reverse question. It's called a diatribe, but it's a reverse question. Just before that, he said, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. So if that's the case, does that mean that we can just continue to sin because that means more grace will appear? No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so he says, he says, uh, by no means in verse 2, or in other words, may it never be, or may it never be part of you that you sin. And remember, I want you to exchange sin for the word pride, because I think pride covers everything. Yeah. So when I'm talking about sin, I don't want to have to go and list off all the, all the, the sins of commission, but I want to also look at the sins of omission, the things that we should do that we don't do. As Paul says, the things that I shouldn't do that I do. Yes. Um, so we've got to look at that. Because sometimes we can sit there and go, God, where the hell are you? What are you doing? I'm praying every day. I'm tithing every Sunday. And he goes, are you hearing me? What about the pride of life? What about that thing that you're not letting go? What about that thing you're not putting down? I can tell you. I had a funeral home many years ago. I prayed like a dog. I prayed and I prayed every day. I, I prayed and I fast. And God did not bless me. And I'm going, God, I have been a faithful servant since 1966, 1973. And where are you? I have these conversations with God. He doesn't seem to get too upset about it. Um, and I accused him of, of, of failing me. And so at the end of the end, we closed the funeral home down and lost a lot of money. In fact, I lost everything I had. Almost went bankrupt. And it wasn't until a few years later that I actually realised that my funeral home was an idol. I had made it by God. And God says, I love you that much that I will not bless your gods. I will not bless things that you hold up. In, in, to replace me. I will not bless you because if I do, I support your idolatry. And God cannot support your idolatry. So I had to lay down my sin, which was the funeral home I had it become all-consuming to me. I, I was in Monday Rotary, Tuesday Army Reserve and SES. Wednesdays I'd go to church, but before church I'd go to the, um, the Lions meeting. Thursdays, I don't yeah, know, Apex. Because uh, you have to be in everything to be a funeral director because you're trying to convince people to come to you. Uh, <laughs> or get their family, at least. Uh, I was in that for many community groups, but I can tell you now, I was not promoting the cause of Christ. I was promoting Walsh Funeral Home. It had become such an idol in my life that I had to lay it down. Sometimes we have good things in our lives. Family, children, job, all good things. God will bless those good things. But if we make those things the ultimate thing, yeah. he cannot bless it. He can't bless our pride. He can't bless our, he can't bless our idolatry. If you're finding that you've got a block somewhere, 
I always say, don't start with God, start with yourself. The question is, what am I doing that is inhibiting the growth in my life? Because, you know, we pray, I'm, I shouldn't say this, I don't actually like praying for growth in church. I don't believe we need to pray for growth in church. You don't tell that tree, grow. The tree will grow to the, to the maximum it can in that soil. The problem is not the tree. The problem is the soil. It's the watering. It's us. We're the problem. Church growth is about people. It's about, it's about us being more in, engaged in the cause of Christ. It's not about what God can do for us. It's what we can do for God. You know what I mean? So in the end, man, it gets scary, doesn't it? How much do we inhibit the salvation of others? How much do we, because of our stance, do that? So if you go down to um, verse three, we read, "Do you not know that? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ, uh, Jesus Christ? We're baptized into His death. When we're baptized by full immersion, what we're doing is we're dying to our old man or our sin, or to our old way. And then we read, and we are buried with Him in by baptism into death, in order that." Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we may walk in the newness of life. The newness of life. What does that mean? You know, um, who remembers getting married? Okay, interesting thing about getting married is, especially um, like um, Angie and I, we got married. We never lived together before we got married. And then, uh, so, you know, man, you think you know somebody? Um, and then you get married, then you really know somebody. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because we walked down the aisle. Well, I didn't walk down, she walked down the aisle. I was at the other end. But <laughs> as she walks down the aisle, we're two single people with our own, ideolo- uh, uh, our own um, ideologies, our own uh, stubbornness, our own ways of thinking, our own backgrounds, the way her family did things versus the way my family did things. I mean, you know. It's amazing that marriages actually survive when you put it all together. But you get married, and on that day, you make a commitment that we will become one. Now, that's not as easy said as that, becoming one. Because what happens is stubbornness, pride, selfishness, my needs are more important, my needs are not being met. All of this sort of stuff starts to surface, and in the end, we have friction, which causes problems. The problem is, when you unite with something, it changes you. You can't go back to being single again. That's why they say you're a divorcee or a widow. Because you can never go back to the state you were once at. Because you've now moved to a life-changing event. That life-changing event has changed you forever. You can never go back. It's like when you leave school, you can never go... I went back and did year. I failed English in grade 9, 10, 11, 12. I went back and did night school in grade 12. English, I did it by correspondence and failed again. <laughs> but it wasn't until I went to Boxville College of Tate when I was 24 and passed year 11 English, which I'm glad I did because that's the only reason I got in the army. But um, the point is, when I went back to school, it wasn't the same. It's the same when you're married and you separate. It's not the same. We have this with us. Once you become a Christian, you can't go back. And that's why we have a lot of people who struggle to go back. They don't know where they are. They live in this no man's land. Because we have been fundamentally changed in the newness of life. 
Because we, when we got baptised, we believed with faith. We got immersed in baptism into his death and renewed us alive. How can we then go back to the way things were? Yeah. So we go down to, um, I'll jump down. So basically, I say Christians, we're under new management, aren't we? Yeah. We have a new name. Let's have a look at that. Abram was called the, uh, the father is exalted. That's what Abram means. So when he walked around, he goes, I'm Abram. They would have gone, oh, God is exalted. Okay. But then he was told, go and tell everybody his name is now Abraham. Before he even had a kid, which means the father of many nations. Hi, my name's Abraham, the father of many nations. <laughs> People saw Abraham. They didn't see Abraham. The revelation came when he had Isaac, and then the great nations come there from him. But at the time he's declaring his new name, he wasn't living in his full destiny. That was yet to come. When we're Christians, we get a new name. We don't know what our full destiny is until we die. But at the end of the day, we've got to declare our new name, what that means. It's like uh, Jacob was called the supplanter or the deceiver. Israel became, because you struggled with God and with man, and you overcame so my name, I'm, I'm Jacob the Deceiver. <laughs> to Israel, I wrestled with God and I overcame. I mean, you can, you can see the people around you forget, are you loony? Are you, are you insane? But that's what that's what brings people to the knowledge of Jesus is when we declare our new name. What does that look like? You know, it's interesting, I've mentioned this before, that if you, most of us will say, I'll tell you what I believe. We do it on Instagram and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. Um, but Jews will say, don't tell me what you believe, I will follow you for, for two weeks and then I'll tell you what you believe. Yeah. Because it's through our actions we can determine who we really are. Yeah. We need to leave our pride behind. Now, Je uh, uh, sorry, um, Paul here is writing that the baptism of Jesus Christ is reflected to a change of status. And baptism comes from the word baptismo, which means to immerse and to have a change of ownership. So they used to baptise houses, the, uh, the Romans. Okay, so baptism's not just a Christian term. They used to, it was basically a change of time. Okay, so when we read in verse um, verse 15, what, the, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? He goes, by no means. What we see here is we need to change our way of thinking because under the law, it was an eye for an eye. You offended me, I get me punished. You talk about this away from me, I'm going to take that away from you. Which really is a sort of prideful sort of stance, isn't it? Jesus says, no, it's not an eye for an eye anymore, it's turn the other cheek. You want to hit that one? Well, then you must hit that one. You know, it's a change of how we see the world. It's not about what I'm entitled to, it's not about what I get. It's not because I disagree with something, it's because I'm going to do the right thing. Because it comes from a heart, not the law. We, we, he said, we didn't come here. The law doesn't have any advice to us. It's that we exceed the law. The law is the minimum standard. Yeah. We exceed the law. So the question I always ask is, why do we obey the road rules? Well, some don't. Can I give you an interesting stat? 93% of all car fatalities were caused because someone wasn't paying attention or someone disobeyed a road rule. 93%. What that equates to, out of 1,500 people dying, is about 100, oh, sorry, 1,500, 1,400 died unnecessarily because people chose 
to not pay sufficient attention or not to follow a road rule. That's a, that's, a, that's a tragedy. I've mourned that. I've been a funeral director, I was a funeral director for 14 years, and then I've been a policeman for 18. I've been to many car crashes. And I can tell you, it breaks my heart every time I go. Because I'm the one often has to go, to go and tell the family that this person not come home. All because somebody chose to have pride of life. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. People call it an accident. We don't call it an accident. We call them crashes. Because an accident is something that's unavoidable. Crashes are totally, 93% are totally unavoidable. Uh, sorry, avoidable. But why do we obey road rules? Some people don't. The next group fear punishment. That's under law. But those under grace respect others, respect other road users, and therefore do not want to cause harm to others. So, old man, I don't want punishment. I don't want my $1,033 ticket for using my mobile phone versus... I would never use my mobile phone because I would never want to be that distracted. That would cause the death of another person. It's a different attitude, isn't it? And that's what Christ is calling us to be. It's not about our agenda. It's not about what we get. It's how we reflect Christ. This is what pride does. Got the light shining. And pride does this of Christ in us. And the more pride you have, pride's the lamp that should be shining. How are we reflecting Jesus in our life? Do we have two names? He says here in verse um, uh, verse uh, 16, Do you not know that you present yourselves as anyone uh, to anyone as an obedient slave? Are you a slave to the one whom you obey, either leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? He's saying, here, you are a slave. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to righteousness? Okay, so, you know, when I joined the police force, I never realised what it was until they handed me my badge, right? Uh, and they hand this to you on a ceremony. You actually don't know <laughs> what this actually, what this gives you. As a person, it weighs a hell of a lot more than this thing that I'm holding. Because what you don't realise is that I am accountable. 24-7, every day, to the police disciplinary. My conduct outside policing will be just as scrutinised as I'm at the job. I'm also an Army Reserve Major, which is 24-7 under the Defence Force Disciplinary. When I swore allegiance to the Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs of success in accordance with the Defence Australia and the State of Queensland, I gave up all my rights. I have no, every day I have to leave my personal opinion at the door. Walk in and do my job regardless of what my political masters are demanding that I do. Now I've been to protests and I've been, now I probably support the protesters. Right? I may even agree with the protesters personally. But when, when you're a policeman 24-7, you don't have that right. You don't have the right to then dictate what my personal views are. Because I gave that right up when I wear the uniform. Jesus is saying the same thing. You're either a slave to sin, which is your pride, or you're a slave to righteousness, which is the cause of Christ. You can't do both. It's one or the other. Sometimes you look at it and say, oh, my, and I try, I, look, I fail, I fail. 
I fail all the time, but I try my best. Okay, and I've got A's is my perfect con conscience. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> the thing is, there's things I do that I don't want to do, but I do because I don't want to cause offence to others. Because if we offend a person who knows us to be a Christian, are we shining the light of Jesus in that person's life because we stand on our rights? Or do we stand on our heavenly name and we proclaim the love of Jesus to that person? I meet some of the vilest people in the world, right? Yet I treat them with the love of Jesus. Not my personal disdain of who they are and what they've done. But I'm talking about vile people. Now, people you don't want to meet. You know what I mean? But I always try to make sure that I put my personal feelings aside because that has to that has to die. What we've got to understand is in the first century, a slave in the first century was a little bit different to what we see slavery of the African American people in um, a couple of hundred years ago. In the third in the first century, I would say maybe. Say I was the um, Christian was the Lord of uh, uh, Kuru. Uh, sorry, Nusa. Nusa, right? He's the Lord of Nusa. Okay, <laughs> and we're all we're all um, live in Nusa. So he therefore some of us are free, some of us are slaves. Okay. Now what had happened was everyone would have to comply with um, Christian's household code, his code of conduct. Right? He would set the standard. And everyone had to comply with that standard. Okay, so what would happen is a Christian would then sell Justin to me, right? Because he didn't like Justin, whatever reason, right? Justin may have spent, you know, 40 years uh, growing up and being under Christian, right? When he came to be my slave, I did not care what he did with Christian. He will comply with my household code, regardless. Of his personal opinion. That's what it meant to be a slave. A slave was a person who did not have the power to refuse. One who does not belong to himself but belongs to somebody else. It's where we cannot put our own personal view on something. We need to look at our lives and say, what can I do for the cause of Jesus Christ today? And that's my prayer pretty much every day. What's my God moment today, Jesus? How can I reflect your love? At work today. You know, last night I got to reflect it a couple of times. Um, I'll do it again this afternoon. I try to look at getting people to see the world is different through my actions, like through my behaviour. Now, Amanda will tell you, I lost, I got cranky yesterday because the car wouldn't stop. I had to give him the um, bone hands and what part of stop don't you understand? <laughs> Maybe not showing the love of Jesus, but you know, when you've got cars backed up onto the Bruce Highway and you're trying to just get stupid people to drive, um, sometimes I did not show the love of Jesus. But that's okay every now and then. But if that's your lifestyle, and this is what he's talking about, is your lifestyle. Is your lifestyle bent on your, your life, or is it bent on the will of God? What is your primary focus? Is it about making my life comfortable? You know, I... I try to avoid at all costs. I'm not saying don't do this, but this is just me. I try to avoid praying for myself. Because I think God's done enough. And I think Jesus died on the cross was enough for me. That I know and I know Ains is always praying for me anyway, so I don't I don't need I don't need to have other people. So I don't have my shopping list of prayers. I have my 
petitions for others. You know what I mean? Because I believe if I'm praying for others, I'm trying to do what Christ is, what wants me to do, is to pray for others. Even though I might have challenges myself, I try to pray for others. Every now and then I, I succumb, um, but that's okay. So when you joined Christ, you joined like the police, you joined like the army, you got a badge called the Holy Spirit. The power. You know, this thing gives you a great lot of power. It's like a, it opens four doors. It's amazing. Um, gain entry to anything you want. As long as you don't abuse the power, it's all good. God gives us the same power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that Holy Spirit, we can declare victory in the ground that we're going to go for. But I can tell you this. Jesus is the ultimate multi-level marketer. He's not interested in you sitting there being comfortable. Sorry to say this. I know this was a bit of a challenge. He's not there making you sit there comfortable. He wants you to be beacons of light in the world that you occupy. He wants you to show people what a slave to righteousness looks like. He wants you to show the people the love of Jesus. He wants you to show you a different world. Like, we live in a world, and I was talking to the Deputy Commissioner just recently, and I said, the world that I came into 18 years ago as a policeman to the world I live in today, I cannot believe the difference. We live in a world where my right, not my responsibility, is what is spoken of. I grew up in an era where I got told what my responsibilities were. Yeah. I didn't get told what my rights were. I think it was about the 80s, where we all started, you know, handing out participation ribbons and okay. and uh, every every child every child's a winner. And uh, you know, uh, and we started telling everyone they're the most important person in the world. Uh, and what we did was we changed our world to I have rights, yeah. and you are now, you can't say no to me, as a young fellow told me last night. Well, you know. <laughs> We had a difference of opinion, but that's okay. Um, but we, I see it all the time. People will stand on their rights. But does that show Jesus? You know what I mean? Does it show Jesus? Is there a better way to skin the cat, I say? Is there a better way to show Jesus in your life and to those around you that go, why are you different? Why do you see things fundamentally differently? It's not about condemning. It's about shining the light of Jesus. Because it is Jesus. If they don't like you because you're the light of Jesus, well, then that's Jesus' problem, not yours. We don't have to contend with the world. We're here to show a different heart to the world. It's one reason why we come to church, for example. One of the classic guys is Paul. Saul to Paul. Everyone thinks that he changed his name. No, he didn't change his name. He had two names. Saul was his Jewish name, and Paul was his Roman name. Okay? When Saul came to the road of Damascus, he came out of Jerusalem a persecutor. He went to Damascus as a Christian. He rode into Jerusalem, hating, loathing, and despising Christ, but he groped his way blind, broken, bruised, uh, to the road to Damascus. He was clinging to the hope of the cross of Jesus Christ for his future. He went out proud, self-reliant, promoting himself upon many entitlements, his pure blood, his perfect birthright, his rabbi nature, his pharisaical training, uh, and his, his rigid morality. He even talks to the word, I was blameless under the law. I mean, that's pretty bold. I don't think anyone's blameless, but he would say he was blameless. However, he rode into Damascus blind as a bat, 
only seeing through his soul and discerning that that things were, he had he, he treated everything that he had as done. And we read in Ephesians, he would say, if anyone said that they had confidence in this world that they had achieved, he said, I could do more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, but people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As a righteous under the law, I was blameless. But whatever I gained, I count that as lost for the sake of Christ. He threw everything down. Could you imagine throwing everything down in your life today for the cause of Christ? I mean, that's a big, let's say you don't, you don't have to do it, but could you imagine what that looks like? So you can put your whole history away. For, this, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And he was found in him, not having righteousness of his own, but he came from the, uh, that comes from the law, but that comes from the faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that is dependent on faith. That I may know him and power his resurrection, and may share him in his suffering, because of him in his death, that I by all means that I may have the resurrection unto death. What Paul is saying here is I count all things as rubbish as the worship team comes up. He is saying that what we do in life will echo through eternity. And the question is, and it's a challenge, I, 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 I prefaced it at the beginning, the challenge, <laughs> is what pride or what idolatry or what thing have you lifted up that has become so important to you? Like I've helped, I've helped many, many couples who wanted to get pregnant. And the first question I ask them is, do you think about this every day? And I say, yes. I say, lay it down. If you want a house and you think about it every day, lay it down. If you've got a healing and it's all you think about, lay it down to be a good thing, not the ultimate thing of your life. Because it's there that God can do great things. The power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit can bring. But the moment you lift it up, unfortunately, and I'm sorry to say, God can't do all things. I know that's a revelation now, but God cannot bless your idolatry. He cannot bless that which is born out of pride. The mistake that Adam and Eve made was that they didn't repent. Okay? They just didn't repent. If they hadn't repented from eating the tree of good and evil, uh, we'd probably have a different history. They didn't get kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they sinned. They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of their pride. They blamed others instead of themselves. So, the challenge today is, is your life interrupted for the cause of Christ? And what do I need to lay down? What name are you going to be known as? Is that your slave to sin name or your slave to righteousness name? When you got baptized, you had a newness of life. Step into that newness of life. Embrace that newness of life. And it's through that the power of the Holy Spirit can do great things. I often ask the question, why did John say he was the one Jesus loved? Why did he have Peter, James and John? Why did he have the 12 disciples? Why did he have the 72 disciples? Why did he have the great multitude? Was he a respecter of persons? I don't believe so. Jesus just walked up and said, he didn't even talk to them. He didn't give them their action plan. He just said, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Follow me, and those who followed 
are the ones who got to know Jesus. And the level they got to know Jesus was their commitment to being closer to Jesus. And as Paul said, I count all things as lost so that I may know Jesus. The challenge I give you today, if you want to really know Jesus, you need to just keep moving towards hell. Lay down things that you may have in your heart now, the things that you say, Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.